Welcome to episode number 162, Lessons from the Cross. I am your host, Damon Soka. Before I get started today, I wanted to talk about two things that are in some ways related. My daughter had a friend this week who, out of necessity, entered into the behavioral side of the hospital. Now, I know when I say this, your mind goes to all kinds of terrible places, but this wasn't about suicide or something terrible. She has had trouble sleeping. It has been obvious from the moment I met her that she deals with anxiety and perhaps some depression. She hadn't slept in a couple of weeks and ended up hallucinating. She was released quickly, but there is something important to her lesson that I personally want to make clear. Mental illness does not heal on its own. You cannot ignore it and expect it to go away. It is also similar to cancer. The earlier you catch it and treat it, the better off you will be. The longer you take, the more difficult the process. If your child or someone you know is struggling and they or you believe that it might be mental illness, it is important to intervene and get them help immediately. Now I understand that you can't intervene with a minor or a child of another person, but you can do what you can to help them within those limits where you actually can operate. I personally believe that individuals who refuse to believe in mental illness and who think that their child is perhaps being just dramatic may have a very uncomfortable interview with the Savior where they will be shown and experience the drama of their child as they call it. There will be nothing more hellish in their mortal or spiritual world experience and they will definitely plead for it to stop. Please, if someone is suffering, don't wait. Don't allow them to continue to suffer. Don't put your child through hell because you don't believe. Get them the help they need. Second thought today is to reach out however you can to those who suffer. Even if you suffer, and perhaps even more if you do suffer, even small acts of kindness and understanding go a long ways with those of us who suffer. Kindness can heal wounds and repair souls. And it really doesn't take that much. Now, today's thoughts are going to talk a great deal about this reaching out. Now, I'm going to talk about five lessons we learn from the crucifixion and the Savior. Now, why the crucifixion? One, because the Savior interacted with several individuals during that time and process. And his interactions teach us a great deal about how we can reach out to others in small ways, even when we ourselves are suffering. Two, because the cross and the Savior's experience represent our trials and troubles we encounter with mental illness. The cross was just a portion of the atonement, but an important part because we are allowed to see just how the Savior interacted with others when his body, heart, mind, and truly his soul was stretched to the extreme. The atonement of the Savior and our own cross of mental illness are not entirely different. The Savior did not deserve the cross. The experience caused him significant physical and emotional pain. He was stretched to his earthly and even his godly limits during the experience. Out of the experience, he learned compassion, love, empathy, and kindness in ways that can only be learned under extreme stress. Sound familiar? I've always viewed mental illness as something we must pass through as a trial and a test but is actually far more than that. In many important ways, those of us who experience mental illness are 
allowed into the hallowed space of the atonement. Very few people on this earth will ever come to an understanding of what the Savior passed through as we do who suffer with mental illness. It teaches us through experience in some small ways what it means to descend below all things. While suffering, we in some small way come to understand the Savior's pain and suffering in that is a great blessing. While I am not sure that I could ever see it in that way while in a deep depression, outside of those moments I have personally come to understand the Savior in a very deep way. And for that, I am grateful. I am certain if you search your heart and mind, you might just feel and see the same things that I have. The moments of the cross are very important to us who suffer with mental illness. We are allowed to personally hear and see how the Savior reacted and interacted with others under his own weight of sorrow and pain. Certainly, ours is not as difficult as his, but I don't think that it matters as much as we think it does. We are both stretched to our emotional limits, his being much greater than ours, but still our limits. Now, there will be five lessons today that in the end are likely to help us with our own journey. Lesson number one, as he is being prepared for the cross, the crucifiers had to nail his hands and feet to the beams. Because this process is often so troubling, even for cruel soldiers, they were often drunken and impaired to numb the emotional response. Now, whether these particular soldiers were, we don't know, but it says something about the process of crucifixion, and it can even gender that it can even gender charitable feelings in those who are often cruel. Whether or not these crucifiers knew the Savior, we are not told. But it is likely that they knew something about him, and certainly they understood that their leader had attempted to release him. As they drove the nails through what were likely trembling hands and feet, destroying tendons and muscles, the pain that may have subsided under some shock and exhaustion during his walk to Golgotha would have begun anew. Now, at this moment, any person suffering the nailing process would not have cared very much about these Roman soldiers. Besides being an invading enemy to the Jewish citizenry, they were often cruel and domineering, even of the most common members of society. What I'm saying is that there was no reason to care for these men. These men were the abusers of the Jewish society. It should also be noted that as human beings in a fallen world, when someone causes us serious pain, our first, second, and even third reaction, based solely on the human condition, would be to lash out and seek just justice and retribution. When someone hurts us, our defenses in the human body are quick to react, and our sense of justice is quick to condemn. This is what makes his statement so intriguing. Instead of lashing out at these torturers and seeking justice, the Savior does just the opposite. The Savior knew that they had little choice, and to refuse an order meant death. We see in his words that they may have even had serious regret and pain at what they were required to do. And so at this moment, we see the Savior being compassionate to these men as these men nail him to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, uttered compassionately from his lips. We know from Revelation that these words were for the crucifiers. Now, I am not sure what emotions stirred within these soldiers as he said these words, 
But in some ways, I think they must have been comforted, and maybe in some ways made their orders perhaps even that much more difficult. But the overriding message is that the Savior demonstrated empathy and compassion even in those most extreme moments. And even though they were his crucifiers, he did not want them to suffer for what they had been ordered to do. He knew that they were not responsible for his death. He knew that they would not be punished in heaven for obeying orders. The judgment would not pass upon them for this moment. But he wanted them to know it. He could not remove them from the orders, but he could do something small to alleviate their suffering and pain. And so he did what he could to allow them to heal from their own suffering. It doesn't take much to speak words, but the effect was significant for them. His compassion for these individuals was remarkable, and his ability to maintain a proper charitable thoughts and concerns under the most extreme circumstances teaches a unique lesson. And it is lesson number one today. Even in our extremities, we can reach out in small ways to lift the burdens of others. Does this come easy to us? Heavens no. This is the goal of a lifetime. But it teaches a powerful lesson. When we are in our suffering moments, lifting the burdens of others in small ways can and does lift our own burdens. It would seem contrary to think that while we can't seem to lift our own burdens, that helping others to lift their burdens would allow us to lift our own. It would also seem to be a contradiction in capacity, but the reality is that when we seek to lift the burdens of others, under our own distress, we find our burdens lightened, under the Lord's power to lighten. When we are in our episodes and trodden down by our illness, sometimes small acts of service can provide significant relief. Now, I know an individual who, while suffering from his own illnesses, would paint pictures and then give those to others who were suffering in some way. The painting provided both a release of emotion and some comfort and hope to others as he gave them away. Now, the key to understanding this wonderful lesson of the Savior is simple. Lifting others' burdens in small ways allows us to strengthen, to carry our own. Now, the next lesson we see on the cross is the Savior's words to the two others crucified with him. In the midst of railings and accusations by the crowd of the individuals who had come to mock and deride the Savior, one of the malefactors crucified with the Savior let his human nature come out in a moment of pain and suffering, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Now, I don't believe his words were like those of the individuals mocking him on the ground. He simply wanted to be relieved of pain, and in a moment of extreme suffering, he mirrored the words of those mocking the Savior. The Savior did not condemn him for this, and the other individual who had been crucified with the Savior defended the Savior, saying that we receive due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing amiss. We are not told why or how this individual knew the Savior's innocence, but he apparently did. Again, we see the Savior reaching out with simple words to comfort, saying, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. While in the midst of the atonement, for it had been carried through to the cross, and close to death, and exhausted, the Savior was still concerned for the salvation of one who was willing to repent. He offered forgiveness during an extreme moment of pain and suffering. Suffering that actually was in part due to the very sins this malefactor had committed. This speaks to us of the value the Savior places on repentance and forgiveness. 
It speaks to his mercy and his love for everyone. Could we offer forgiveness in such a moment? So often mental illness comes by way of actions of others. Abuse, accidents, actions taken with evil intent and even simple neglect. Sometimes we suffer with mental illness because the hands of another have caused it to occur. And most often their intent was selfish and uncaring. We naturally desire justice when selfish acts of another cause us serious suffering. However, there is something strange about justice. It doesn't heal. There is no healing power in justice. We might feel vindicated, but we will not feel whole. Healing does not come from the judicial, judicial side of the atonement, and it never has. Healing comes from the mercy side of the atonement and is part of the process of the atonement whereby the sinner might be forgiven and the injustice made right for the innocent victim. When the Savior passed through those moments when he saw and carried our sins, there were two parts to that process. Not only was he required to fully feel and understand the nature of the sinner, but he had to fully understand the nature of the innocent victim. You cannot fully understand sin unless you understand both sides of the equation. The atonement was to grant the sinner a release from his sin and the innocent victim a release from their suffering. But there was no requirement that the sinner be punished to heal the victim or that the victim healed to allow for the sinner to be forgiven. Each of these issues would be treated separately, each relying upon the Savior to heal the wounds. The healing of the victim was to be complete, whole and without reservation. The only requirement would be that they would ask. The Savior separated the sinner and the victim so that neither was dependent upon the other for healing. Each would come to him and he would provide the healing and make up the difference. We gain nothing by hoping for justice of a person who has abused us or injured us. The Savior suffered pains of the innocent victim so that he could understand how to heal them. Healing would come as we asked in prayer and did whatever small part we could to give up the hurt and pain of the abuse. Even when that process would take time, the Savior also promised to carry the hurt and pain until our healing moment arrived. Forgiveness is a healing balm that, once applied, allows for one to be freed from everything that caused them pain and suffering. Forgiveness does not change anything to do with justice, and one's lack of forgiveness, again, will not change justice. There is often a thought placed in our minds by the adversary that if somehow we forgive, the sinner might be able to walk away from justice without punishment. That is simply untrue. Justice for the sinner will be independent of the victim because the Savior paid the price to accomplish that. The victim is offered a just recompense to be made entirely whole, as they were before the issue occurred through the atonement. Now, the victim cannot ask for anything more than to be made whole. That would be beyond justice and border on unjust. The lesson we find here is that forgiveness is a healing balm. And as we seek it, a whole new world will open to our eyes. Finding or obtaining forgiveness is likely to take time and effort on our part, and we certainly cannot fully approach it without the Savior. I so often relate forgiveness to an open wound. 
it will be painful to clean the wound and to bind it up. However, in time, the pain and the infection will be removed. But yes, we will always have a scar, a memory. Sometimes we think that because we have this scar, the healing process is not complete. That is not true. And even eventually, that scar will be removed. The next event we experience in the record of the Savior as he hung on the cross was something he said for our purposes. It appears that the cross was the culmination of the atonement, and the agonies he experienced in the garden have likely returned to him in full. Now, as this occurs, he cries out in agony when he realizes that this portion he must experience alone. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In his piercing cry, we actually sometimes hear our own voice. Joseph Smith cried out, O God, where art thou in Liberty Jail? And Job cried out in his misery. But for them, there was always an answer. Peace to thy soul came from the heavens as Joseph cried out. The only person on this earth who has ever truly been left alone was the Savior hanging on a cross. He was perhaps the only person who should never have experienced such a thing. But he did so purposely so that we would not have to. Loneliness is its own purgatory and is often the feeling of those who suffer with mental illness. We can feel very alone in our suffering. Often I think that when we suffer and we feel that darkness and that aloneness that comes upon us, I can see Lucifer rejoicing as he did in the garden and likely at the cross. He knows that our feelings of isolation are some of the worst experiences of mental illness. And of course, he rejoices in that misery. What the Savior said teaches us a valuable lesson. Not only does he fully understand our aloneness, he paid the price so that we would never have to be truly alone. We will never have to experience it at the level he did. When I get to these moments, I often think of the Savior in the garden when that angel came to strengthen him. I have no doubt our own angels are there with us when we suffer so deeply and with such a depth of aloneness. Now, these are not random angels that come to us, but those who have great love for us, sent from the spirit world to comfort and strengthen us in our time of need. Often, they are close relatives, and many times are individuals we knew in mortality. Their love and their eternal connection continue beyond the grave. Sometimes even mortal angels appear at times when we don't expect them. We can be certain that we are never truly alone as the Savior was. There are two final lessons of the cross. I'm going to kind of lump together a little bit, even though they may not be as related as I think they are. The first was the Savior's expression that he thirsted. It is interesting that this was recorded, but it gives us insight into the Savior, Savior's suffering. He was not immune to the cravings of the flesh because he was the Son of God. He knows and has experienced everything we have and more. He fully understands the mortal difficulties of suffering through a mental illness and the many mortal physical issues that come with that illness. He is not some elevated God who used his godly powers to work through the atonement. He experienced it as a mortal, only using his power to avoid passing out or a premature death. He literally used his powers to experience a greater suffering, not relieve it. 
When you feel like no one understands, he truly does. And that is an important lesson from the cross. Now, his final lesson was similar in many ways to the others. He was near the end, and his suffering has caused his body to be entirely exhausted. When we are this sick or distressed by our illness, it is rare that we are concerned for others. Now, his mother was at the cross with the Apostle John. She had already lost her husband. It appears her other children, the Savior's own half-siblings, struggled for a time to accept him as the Savior. She was suffering. The mocking crowd was no help. No doubt she felt the pains that a mother does when a child suffers. She needed comfort that he personally could not give. And so with one of his final statements, he asked John to take care of her. She was going to need some help for some time as she was to continue without him. Certainly, somewhere, sometime, he would appear to her after his resurrection. But she would have to suffer through his death and burial first. While this was going to be a moment of glory and triumph as he entered the spirit world, he was going to be crowned king while his mother suffered on earth. He wanted his mother to be comforted. There is no doubt that she would have been a target, given that the leadership had just crucified the Savior. Even before the Apostles was Mary and her testimony, she likely had the most significant testimony of his divine mission of anyone living. The Savior, even when he had nothing left to give, had compassion on his mother. This lesson teaches us that the Lord does care for us and sends individuals to care for us and to make sure that we have our needs met. Now again, we see the Savior reaching out in ways that he could. He could not remove the soldiers from their nails, but he could comfort them. He could not stop his death, but he could make sure his mother had protection, comfort, and love. So much of what we see the Savior doing during his final moments of mortal life gives us hope. We are often in our own moment of crucifixion as we suffer deeply. It can be difficult to see anything of value in that process, and it is even more difficult to reach out to others. Naturally, we would think that dipping into what little capacity we have left to comfort someone else would not provide any value, but perhaps exhaust us further. But what we find is that if we can reach out with the capacity we have, and only if it is words of comfort, we can heal others and ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that we must go forth and entire, entirely exhaust our capacity helping others, but we can do small things. What you will find in doing small things is a healing that you may not have expected. My experiences with mental illness have been enlightening to me in many ways. I have often prayed to more fully understand the Savior in his life. Now, naturally, I expected this understanding in scriptural insights and general conference talks. But what I have realized is that those methods of learning can actually take us only so far. We can only develop spiritually to a certain point by listening and learning. To know the Savior completely, we must experience it. We must experience what he did. One moment of experience, similar to the Savior's life, is actually far better than a hundred books. 
We can certainly learn about the Savior, but to experience the Savior is where we truly come to understand Him and where our foundations solidify and become unmovable and we truly become like Him. However, we must pass through these experiences in a certain way so as to spiritually learn those lessons and to see from a higher perspective, an experiential perspective. I hope that, it, that you might be able to see the why in your illness and how much you have come to know the Savior as you have suffered. More often, we cannot see those lessons in the midst of the fight, but as we look back, we can see our souls molded by the Master Designer into what we need to become. Don't give up that fight to know your Savior. I promise, in the end, that everything you have experienced will be worth it. And when you come to that moment of judgment that we're all going to face sometimes, it will be as Moroni said it would be, the pleasing bar of the great Jehovah. And you will be like him. May you do your part this week, and I know that the Lord will do his. Until next week.